From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specialising in rural business and marketing design, find them on Facebook and Instagram. From the Saddle. I just need to take five and just go away and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word. Describe it. From the Saddle. I'm Caitlin Hewitt and this is From the Saddle. Driving day and night to transport horses to a sale week in and week out was just what our next guest did. Ross Greenwood has bought and sold over 28,000 horses throughout his time. Join Ross and host Kay Becker for this incredible story. From the saddle. From the saddle. Good morning, Ross. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? We're great. I guess, you know, this is a long story and, and it's an amazing story, but we need to start at the beginning. So where was Ross Greenwood born and, you know, where did it all start for you? Well, I was born in Brisbane and I went to Mangalala within the first week I was born. I lived in Mangalala out near Mitchell. I went to school in Mangalala for the first time. I was four and a half year old. My father had the mail run. He had to he'd go out to Redford one way or actually out to Taylor's Plains and then he'd go back the other way to Preston down the other, on the southern side of Mitchell. And he did that all the time and he used to work in Solway's shop there and we we lived in the old house. You can see it there. The bottle trees were only little then, but they're big now. Just on the right-hand side as you go down through Mungalala near Mungalala Creek. But anyhow, that's... And then from there, Dad got a job in Bow Desert. Uh, managing the uh, Tamrock Co-op, and and it started all from there, I suppose. And uh, so it was a place where I learned to ride a horse. I fell off a rail on there and broke my neck at bloody Mangalala, but anyhow. But then I met up with an old chap, a fellow called Mr. Calum. Anyone knows Bodesa, right opposite Butterfield, a beautiful old home. Well, he lived there. And we used to take the... The horses out. He taught me to ride and crack whips and everything like that. And we used to take the horses out to the Bromelton Meatworks. And they come in by train. They come in most mornings. And, and I'd go with him half past four every morning. I've had a job since I'm nine year old with him. And um, we used to take the horses out by road because they were all driven. There was no trucks those days, you know, to talk of. There was an odd truck. But, and we used to take the horses out there every morning. And, and he would pay me so much to go so far. You know, it depends how I had to get to school. I wasn't that keen to get to school either, but, <laughs> you know, I dragged the chain a bit. But anyhow, that, and that's where I learned to ride. So how old were you then, Ross? I could ride when I was nine-year-old. And uh, I had an old, an old mare, Dad, blokes, give this fellow a horse who wanted kids to ride. Stan Carl was his name, and he sent me his old bay mare in. I learned to ride in her. And then I bought one out of the out of the meatworks truck there one day, an old horse called Budge the Grey horse, a big sore on his back. I rode him for years after that, but I couldn't back right, you know. But um, but that was that was the start of it, and we used to take him out there, and half past four, we'd get up, we'd walk down, let him out, down to the railway yards, let him onto the, off the train, onto water, and then we'd go home and have a feed. That breakfast delight, we used to get into that with a big heap of treacle and cream. <laughs> Pretty good, I remember that. And... Um, Anyhow, that old bloke, he taught me most things I knew. When he died, he left me a block of land at Glen Eagle, which I wish I still had today. But uh, but anyhow, he was good to me. And then I sort of had to go to school and I didn't do much at school. Then I'd come back. I worked at the retreads. I did at retreads. 
And then I went over to um, Amosfield. You know, Amosfield over at Stanthorpe on the border. And I met up with a family over there. I went over with Roy Garwood. I was falling mill logs at the time. It was him. And then I met up with this Ray Smith, Raymond Merton Smith's his name, and the great old horseman. He run a place in the Warwick Gold Cup there, on a mare called Pepper. I met up with him and just, just break in horses, drove cattle all the way up from a place called River Tree. the head of the Clarence River, actually. There's three rivers. The Bunnamanoo, the Maryland and the Creela all run into one. And um, I worked there for a number of years with him and we'd take cattle from River Tree. The Victorian buyers would come up and buy them in the paddock and then we'd get the job of driving them to up to Tenterfield. There's rest paddocks all the way, so it wasn't a big job, you know. You just poked along behind and put locked them up and I either went home or camped there, whatever you wanted to do, you know. There's two, I've told you about two blokes that really taught me everything and then I went with Bob Campbell. He wanted, he wanted something done and um, Don Earth recommended me to go over to, to Bob Campbell and I was with Bob Campbell for many years. I loved him. It was a real good time there. And where was that at? That's at Bonshaw. Oh, right. Bob, yep. Bob Campbell was, I suppose, he was the guru of the camp craft. He's the first man ever to pick a man off a horse with a buck jumper in Australia, apparently. He's a pretty famous bloke. Big tough fellow he was too. Didn't give him any cheek? I didn't have to give him any cheek. He didn't give you any orders, so you didn't have to give him any cheek. <laughs> he was, anyhow, you did, mate. He was, he, he was just a respectful man. He would never ask you to do something he wouldn't do himself. I'll tell you that now. But the whip had cracked there at half past four in the morning too. And when the whip cracked, you got out of bed and went down, had a feed of sayo biscuits and cheese, and you went out and milked the cows and just done whatever, whatever you had to do. It was, it was a, a great period. I babysit these kids. I did all that, you know, and uh, done it for years. And then I must have got itchy feet or something. Then Wilfie Chandler was breaking in horses for Alfred Grant at um, Toowoomba. And I went there and broke in horses with Alfred Grant. And Jimmy Atkins was training them in there. We used to ride a bit of track work and go. And, and then um, what happened then? Oh, I went back to Amosfield working. And then I went on the road with Peter Mullins for a while. He's a show jumper from Warwick. Had good horses, Mr. Greg, Tops, Jet, good film. He's a pretty good rider. And anyhow, I come home and the old fella told me, they didn't want me to go. This old fella didn't want me to go. He said, you'll come home with a bum out of your trousers. Anyhow, I come home all right. And he said, um, he said I was close. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the knees were out. But that was from shoeing the horses. <laughs> but uh, anyhow. Lindsay Ball wanted a strapper. So I went with Lindsay Ball and I went with him for a good while. And then um, Kevin Bacon come back from overseas from the Olympic Games and he said to Lindsay, he said, what are you doing? He said, Lindsay said, I'm going home. He said, well, can I get Ross if he'll come with me? And anyhow, Lindsay said, yes. So Kevin asked me would I go with him. I said, yeah, I'll go. So I went with Kevin Bacon and I was with him for a long time. And oh, well, when you say long time, seasons, you know what I mean, because your life goes pretty quick and that's not the best, but you travel around with the best horses in Australia, you know. We had Simon, you had Chichester, you had Gift, you had Karuna. Cadet, I didn't like him. Marina was one of his, and Guy Crichton, who ended up with him. But we travel all the royal shows in Australia. And I'll tell you what wouldn't happen today, but we go across the Hay Plain, the truck and caravan old interview he had, and um, I'd be driving and he had the shotgun out the window shooting crows. Bang, a horse in the back of 
you know, all the experiences we had. <laughs> but I went off the road in about uh, 1970, I think it was, and I took up shoeing full time. I used to shoe all around the shows and that. We used to get $2 to shoe a horse. Do you believe that? $2. And yeah, I, I, I started up down the central coast there and I used to charge $6.50 travelling. Gosh, that's slave labour. Oh, well, that's, we could make a living out of it. I'll tell you what, two crapper straps in those days would cost you $1.60. <laughs> uh, it wasn't much, was it? No. 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 But it's... It's all relevant. Yeah. So this uh, Ray Smith, do you credit him for for being the major influence in your in your life, or do you think it was a combination of all of those guys? There's four blokes. Pat Burke, it was a it was a big sheep dealer, it, and I mean a big sheep dealer. You know, Burke and uh, Burke and Smythe are in town. They're agents in town. Well, Jack Smythe was the cattle big cattle buyer, and Pat Burke was, and he taught me how to handle things a bit better than what I could. I'm not a very well-educated fella, but, you know, I can get by. Mm. Um, there's a four men that really taught me a lot about the things. Ray, Ray Smith, well, he was just did A. And Bob, well, he was – they all meant – well, there's a lot of people. My wife has done as much for me – or well, she's done more for me than anyone, really. Yeah. But he's the backbone of this bloody establishment, I'll tell you that now. That's usually the way for all establishments. Well, I think so, but she's not right and do a bit of work. But look, I could not get through my life without the help from all my mates. And I have got, well, I got a lot of mates. Yeah. You know, and they're just, they're different people from all around the bloody, all around Australia. I met a lot of them when I was on the road and I still know a lot of them. They're old because the only blokes that really know me are the old fellas. But they see that bloke on the television, they think it's me. They see that Ross Greenwood on the television, that finance expert. And listen, I'm pretty good because I can tell you how to make a small fortune. You know? You start with a large one. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. You wouldn't be on your own there. Well, anyhow, that's about how I got into it. Then I started dealing horses and, and, and everything. And used to go up into Queensland. Mitchell and that was my favourite spot. I like getting up there. Rossy Clark, in 1983, Ross Clark and I walked 300 horses down that St. George route. I kept on putting them together, go in the truck and get them and just put them and just keep dropping them back in the mob. And by gee, then they scurry when they got into that mob. They went everywhere. So when you started this, buying and selling horses, were you married then or did you just... Yeah, I was married to my first wife then, yes. Yep, and you just uh, packed up your gear and off you went. Yeah, well, well... I used to sell about 30 horses in Parramatta every Friday, you know. Yep. And I, 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 I can honestly say I've never rode a horse through a sale yard unless it was shod. But, you know, I might have bought one early in the day. That was a common practice. I used to like doing that, buy one early, knock its mane off, and give it a kick around the place and then ride it back through and get a bit of a profit on it. That was, <laughs> that was, that's what I like doing, <laughs> you know. And how often did you do that? Uh, a regular occurrence. <laughs> oh, no, not every time, not every time. Bob and I, we had a job one day. He came down to see me. I was old Tamworth Sardyards. He came down to see me. And uh, I was buying horses for John Halliwell. They were going to Malaysia. And he wanted smaller horses, brown, about 15, one or two. And he, I was starting to buy a few. And Bob come back to me. He said, you know that first horse you got? He said, uh, he said he's got a bit of a scum over his eye. I said, well, he ain't no bloody good. 
So we went down the back and knocked the mane off him. And I jumped on, give him a ride, and I went back through and got extra $100. That wasn't too bad. I was going to say, that would have been a lot of money in those days. Well, those yards closed down in 1977. And I'll tell you, Tamworth yards, the whole yards at Northgate, that's where Northgate is now there. Well, I rode the last horse through the horse sale there. I rode the first horse through the next set of sale yards. I rode the last horse through that sale yards. And I rode the first horse through the next set of sale yards. Rocky. But, you know, you've got a, got a few to go with. Like, we've owned 28,000 horses. So, it's you know, you've got a fair bit of choice. So, where did you find 28,000 horses? Like, that's a... Well, mate, that's not many. My blokes have got more than me. Don't you worry about that. Do you think? And more blokes have got more than me, yes, truly. Yeah, yeah gosh, that's, yeah. A, that's a lot of horses. There'd be a lot of people who wouldn't have dealt 28,000 head of cattle in their life, much less horses. Yeah, well, the funny part about it, I'm about 22 years, 20 years too late for the ALEC centre, you see. Yes. Well, I'd have been all right if I'd, you know what I mean, I'd have got there, but we're, we're only dealing in peanuts. I got a thing from 1977. It's out of the paper. I got it out last week. And they sold 104 horses. This had a special sale and they averaged $240. And I sold two of those horses for over 2000 in that thing. But what I like to do, I always like to top price of the course, what everyone does, but I like to present my horses with a bit of pride. And um, I generally got top price because the other fellas, you know, they just go into the sale. They didn't care about state of main, half on or off or anything like that, but I just tried to present them right and have a bit of fun. I'd just like to drill a bit. Where did you actually find, you know, any any of these horses that you took to the sale? So you said, you know, you and Ross Clark. in the paper. So did you just go to the pub and there was a bloke there and he said, you've got some horses, do you want to buy them? Yeah, yep. So you bought his and then the next fellow or did you yeah. actually have people that's you went that's to? How, that's how it worked, mate. I don't drink and I didn't get them from the pub, but I said to some people once, yeah, how do you reckon the sign would go in front of me truck? And I got Ross Greenwood across the top and horse wire underneath. And I'd go into town, and you see, and you park it in the most logical place, and both would see it, and you'd stand about and they'd come over. But it's funny, you know, you go to St. George or Mitchell and you'd, take, and you'd ring people up and say, I'll be there in a week, but they wouldn't run the horses in. You had to be there for the week before they start running the horses in. It was funny, you know, <laughs> but that's just how it works. But, you know, like you get 10 or a dozen here. They used to drive the truck backwards. We'd mainly base at St. George in Bert Hardy's old yards, and we'd drive backwards and forwards from Mitchell's. Just, that used to be loaded up with horses. And you'd, get, you'd put your horses together all day and put them up over Rutland Yards or something like that and then drive all night to bloody get them back to St. George and get them fed and looked after, you know? It doesn't take much to get them going. You can get a mob of horses together pretty quick so if you give the right money. On the on the whole, were they broken in or did you end up with a lot of young horses that you had to work on or you were only looking for broken in horses? Mate, I bought everything. It's no good. You don't leave anything there. If someone's got something to sell it, buy it because next bike comes along, buys it, and you'll get the rest of them. I rode all the horses. I, like, I just didn't buy any horses, just a dog. I, I got on them all. I don't want to say that. If something looked a bit too good for me and I saddled it up, I wouldn't get on, you know. Mm. Discretion's the best part of valour, isn't it? Absolutely. But no, because what you get out of a dog horse is not much, but if you can get a saddle horse and get a few bob for him, Mm. you're better off, aren't you? So you tried, you know, like you'd be going through them all the time, you're pulling them together, you'd say, well, that's a nice horse. 
And it's a funny thing. I I suppose it, it'll be sound stupid to a lot of people, but if I saw a horse go along in the back of my truck with his neck out as far as he can get it out, I could reckon that was a pretty good horse. When I got there, I couldn't wait to try him. I reckon he'd be right. You can nearly get straight on him, you know. And the other one, if you pick, if you you went to a horse and he just takes the bit without you putting it in his mouth, that's another one. I I didn't have a lot of worry about that. But they were just two things that, that I personally got on with. I don't say it works for everyone, but it did for me. So, you know, when you made your way to St George and you were going to put together a load of horses, did you have a specific sort of horse in mind or a market you were looking for? Or just if someone said, I've got 10 horses here, Ross, do you want them? You said, yep, I'll take the 10. That's right. As a, as a wonderful man in St George used to get a lot of horses for me. His name was Daryl Staines, Louis Staines. You're pretty well known, bloke, dude. He's not with us anymore, but he is a terrific bloke. Like I say, I couldn't have got through this job, doing this job, without all those different people that helped me, you know. A lot of them are gone now, but I'm on the bar end of my life too, but I just don't want to get on too much. <laughs> I should have been sharp and blades is my deal now, so. So you've got, you know, you've made, you've got a truckload of horses and, you, you know, you're off to the next sale to sell them. You know, now when you go to a horse sale, everything's primped and preened and, and you know, there there is in most of the catalogues and the auctioneers ramble and say, you know, it's not for a beginner or it suits a lady or it's be a good kid's horse, it's done mustering miles. You know, was all of that sort of stuff around back in the 70s when, when you were selling these horses or... Ross Greenwood getting on the horse and riding it into the ring was enough for people to go, well, I'll buy that horse. Well, it's like this. I never let anyone ride my horses before a sale because i tell you what, I've seen that happen. Blokes get on and they just buggy your horse, you know, buggy your sale. Everyone else sees that they buggy your sale, you know. You never want to show anyone what your horse can't do. You only want to show them what they can do. But what I always said to every horse I sold you take this horse out the back and try him, and if he is not exactly what I said he is, you leave him here and I'll take him home. And I reckon that was the easiest way than me getting, you know, because I make mistakes, so the blokes make mistakes, we all do. So I just, well, I rode 1,500 horses through Gloucester Ring about 1971 to just a few years ago. You know, they had them, they stopped having them through. People tell them bloody lies. You know, not backing up, they, they make a statement in the ring and then when they're challenged about it, oh, no, no, we're not doing that, you know what I mean? It's just it's just wrong. That's why they haven't got – there's no horse sales down here anymore. There's, there's not a horse sale in New South Wales that I could tell you about. I don't know what it's like up there. They've got online sales or something, haven't they? Yeah, I, I, you know, you, you don't hear of many just – it's either you either go to Dolby or you go to Tamworth or – yeah, there's sort of not a lot of the other options or it's all just, you know, private sales stuff, not not sales as such where people turn up, like you say, with a truckload of horses to sell, not like a cattle sale, that's for sure. No. No, well, if you can get those horses looking good and going good, they'll let an odd horse will let you down too. Don't you worry about that. It's just inevitable. But I did like to – as a funny thing, you know that video that's on, there, on yeah. that bloody – Facebook of yep. me, that'll be the only one in Australia. The rest of them <laughs> overseas with all the backpackers. <laughs> but uh, they, when they come over here, oh, well, they all took them back home with them, you know, mm, mm. And, uh, and everything like that. But uh, a woman put it on about me being able to get the crowd in, you see, and hold them. And I said, well, there's only one bloke I can credit that to, that's Sparrow Baker. Now, he's a sideshow man. 
And Sparrow used to give us speeds and everything around the side when we're doing, you know, like a learning when we're on the road with uh, horse. We've met the sideshow people and still acquainted with them today, which, you know, terrific lot of people that we get on with. Yeah. And Barry used to write, work a striker. A striker is where they hit, the hammer hits the thing and goes up and rings the bell at the top. Anyhow, he would get these blokes in and I'd watch him and he was just, he could, he could pick a bloke that was going to spend two bob. That's all it was, 20 cents, you know. <laughs> and, he could, and he could he could pick them and he could talk their way into them blokes' hearts, you know. But if you can get them smiling and bidding, you'll have a good sale. That's right. And repeat buyers, I, I was lucky enough to have repeat buyers, you know, like they'd come before the sale and they'd say, what's what, and I'd tell them. And, so, you know, where did you actually base yourself? You know, you said you'd come up to St George and, and sort of pull up there and get get a truckload or a, a mob of horses together, but where did you actually hang your hat when you weren't at St George? Oh, uh, well, I used to live in Arimba, down at Gosford, and then I moved to Tamworth. Like, I've been in Tamworth here 35 years. And it's uh, the Tamworth is pretty central. It's a pretty good place, Tamworth, you know. Mm. Most people come here and enjoy themselves. Yep, everything's at Tamworth. Everything's at Tamworth, the Powerhouse Motel, and everything's here. Yeah. You been there? Yeah, I've been to Tamworth. I've been to Tamworth a couple of times. I've got a sister who lives in northern New South Wales. So, yep, I've been to Tamworth. So, um, do you think you bought horses from every sale there is in Australia? Oh, no, 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 no. No, we used to, we used to get on the plane, you know, mm. aeroplane. Uh, so they used to have sales in Wagga and Wodonga and in places like that. And we'd get on the aeroplane and go down and buy, uh, might buy a truck or two trucks or horses, but they were railway trucks then. They used to come by rail then. The cattle do the same in Queensland still, don't they? They go mm. by rail in Queensland. Yeah, yep, yep. Well, it's the same thing with the horses down there. And they used to come to Gosford and, um, you pick them up out of the train at Gosford and then go through them from there. But then again, I could take a truckload of horses to Wodonga and sell a truckload of horses in Wodonga or Wagga, whatever whatever we did. But I'll tell you, one day I was at Condoblin, and, you, you know, like a lot of people overestimate you as a rider, underestimate you or overestimate you. And, you know, there's a bloke come in on this buckskin horse, and I, geez, he's a nice horse, and this horse was trying to do everything, and he was making a real meal of it. And I thought to myself, well, Ross, here's your chance. So Ross buys this horse. I Christ, he did a good job on that horse, that bloke. I couldn't get him going. Anyhow, I told him to Julie Davison. She's a New South Wales Australian Polacross player. And she uh, said, mate, he's just a horse. He's terrible. I told him, mate, in yard. But he said, she looks so good. So he did look good, but he wasn't any good. But you see, when we're dealing with them, that we're only talking three hundred dollars and hundred dollars, fifty dollars. That's you know what I mean? Mm. Like to give a couple of thousand dollars for us was unreal those days, you know. So you've gone to Wodonga and and bought a, two truckloads of horses. You brought them back to where? Back to Tamworth? Back to Gosford. Back to Gosford. And then you had a had a paddock or a place at Gosford and, yeah, and got a place in Gosford. And you processed yeah. them there at Gosford. Both of them at Gosford, yeah. So how many how many horses were on two trucks? Oh, I'd say twenty four. Yeah, so twenty four horses. How long did you have that mob of twenty four horses before you put it through the, through a sale and sold it? As soon as I get as soon as I get on them. All right. Yep. That's just how it is. You just you try them, you work them out. Don't take long to work a horse out, mate. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, we get a set of shoes on him, and and I, I had some terrific blokes at Michael Bridge, and all them fellas used to work for us. 
unreal they were. You know, they'd help you out and we used to laugh, Warren Bally, but with a mob of blokes, Wayne, Wayne, me and Sal. You know, I didn't do it by myself. I told you, I had a lot, like, I pay on those blokes, but mm. uh, no, we'd catch them and uh, we'd try them and. Mate, you had a fair idea when you bought them what they were like. You saw them ridden or you didn't see them ridden. But, it, you know, a lot of times you just jumped on a bareback and kicked them around and found out what they left before you left the town, you know, like before you'd left Wagga or somewhere like that. But that's just how we went with them. But you just got on them and tried them and done the best that you could. So, you know, you know out of the 28,000-odd horses that you've bought, how many were an absolute failure? There's plenty of them. I, can't, I couldn't put a percentage on, but <laughs> I've had a few wins. Yeah. I bought a horse called Sparky. Vicky Roycroft and I had him, and he won horse of the year at Gawler one day, and we sold him into Japan. And I've, I had the best horse in Australia, show jumping horse, a horse called One Gum Seco. I bought him off Rod Grant, that fella, and he got 800 jumping points. He, he won the New South Wales title twice, Australian title once. He was a very good horse. Overseer won the horse of the year with Alan Laurie on. So, you know, that sort of horse, what money had you paid for it? Mate, I'd only bought him like three or four hundred dollars. Yeah. I gave four hundred dollars for Seco, I know that's a fact. Mm. But those days it's a lot different then, you know, like I don't know what we could have got for Seco, but he just wasn't for sale. He was there and uh, he's, he's buried across the road here actually. They put him down in Woolen Bar and we went up in the horse float and got him and brought him home. You know, there's a lot of good horses. I've had, I've had winners like Melissa, um, Paloese, and their Palo horses. They've won Australian Palo horses championships. At Elliston here the other day, and Anastasia's another one. Bel- young Alex White rides them. But they, he's got them at Beltrees. They own Beltrees. They like that place there, Beltrees. I wouldn't know how many horses that I've got off Beltrees over the years, and it. A big place down there, it was, you know, like, yeah, everything was done on horses. That's why we haven't got horses today, because not everything's done on horses. Anybody that's breeding a horse today is breeding it, say, just for instance, they're breeding it for nutrient. They're riding it around in a, in a arena. There's not much going out in the outback, you know what I mean, like doing the tough work no, on them. No, And so we, a lot of your horses, you know, is that who they were sold to? They were sold to go back into station plants and be mustering horses or? Yeah, pony club, pony club horses or hacks. And Ben Corby used to buy a lot of horses off me. He was a pretty famous bloke. But see, a lot of people don't remember. When you die, you know, nobody remembers you. <laughs> I'm sure we'll remember you. I don't think so. But no, um, I've been lucky enough to know all the top bowlers and I've been lucky enough, they've all shot things my way and helped me a lot. You know, that's just bloody terrific. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't change your life, would you? You can't anyhow. Well, you but can't, but you sound like you're pretty satisfied with what you've done. My research tells me that Wayne McLennan bought a truckload of horses off you. Tell us a bit about that <laughs> no, he story. didn't buy them off me. No, I didn't he? He didn't buy them off me, but I couldn't get to a sale one day. We all laugh about it. It's a funny story, actually. Dubbo was the hub. We, I used to stay out there with Wayne, live with him. When, when we, we used to stay out there and... Uh, Anyhow, I couldn't get there, and I said, Wayne, I said, you buy me a truckload of horses. That's, we're talking railway trucks again, you see. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And they're the worst bloody lot of horses I ever got. These are <laughs> bastards. I don't mean much. But listen, that's just what you do. There's no malice. Or, you know, it was just how it, that's how it was. But it was, uh, it was, it was just a funny story. 
That, yeah, everybody asked me who, who the loveliest horseman I think I've ever seen are, is, mm. and that's Wayne McKinnon on anything. Yep. He is just it, There's more, in my opinion. I think I've got a few mates that say that too, don't worry. If you've sold 28,000 horses, you've obviously attended more than a couple of sales over the years. Yeah, but you don't sell them all at sales, mate. You only sell the best ones at sales. The rest of them, there's no other way. They go direct to abattoirs. You know what I mean? That's what happens. It's just a fact of life, you know? Not the best fact of life, but it is. But the best ones were always picked out and taken away to a sale somewhere. Everything was given a chance. Put it that way. If they could show me something, they got a, they got a chance, you know? If I'd try and do something with them. But a lot of, I, I bought a, a mob of horses off Glenelvin down here. That's David Arnott's place, the bottom of Arundai. He had a horse there called Gunner. who was a full brother to breeze that. He had some lovely unbroken horses. They were all four-year-old, and he, he couldn't sell them. And he, he sold them to me. They'd been handled, but when I say they'd been handled, you know what I mean, not just like go and catch them and pick them up. And, no. So, but anyway, I got them all. I cleaned them up. They are all good sorts, mainly grey horses. They were too. I don't know why they were, but they were. And I sold them in Gloucester, but they... Went to West Australia. We went everywhere. Gee, they were a nice lot of horses. There's four or five of them, you know. If you had to pick a sale that was your favourite over the years, oh, where would you go? Gloucester, where would you go back Gloucester. to? Gloucester. Gloucester. <laughs> Gloucester. I love Gloucester, mate. I can go to Gloucester, and I always took twenty, thirty, forty horses there sometimes. And uh, Alan Grady used to live over there, and Alan Grady's in a wheelchair. He had MS. He still got a daughter over there, Shelley, and she loved horses. And she'd come there and she'd wash every horse for us. And talk to Diane and Susan and Simone and all that. They all helped, but Shelley was always there. Didn't want any anything else but just to clean your horses up and brush their tails and everything like that. We are always rugged up to the bay. You, you know, you'd end up there taking 60 rugs home, you know. But that's what it was like. And Gloss was my favourite. So when you went to a sale, let's say, rather than a private, you know, dealing, you know, when you went to Gloucester, did you go, these horses have got to be able to, you know, in Gloucester you'll sell horses that are going into a mustering string or they're going to become pony club horses. But if you go to Tamworth, they've got to be able to be polo cross horses. Was there a type of horse that sold at each sale and you thought, well, there's no point taking that horse there because I can tell it's not, we'll never sell that there? You don't take Arabs to Gloucester because they didn't like them over there. <laughs> but, uh... Where did you take Arabs? <sighs> Never got a lot of them, just quietly. <laughs> but uh, I tell you, Gary, Gary Peavy used to come by horse off me. Now, he, he used to go over, over there to bloody Abbey Dabby there mm. riding the things for the shake, you know, yep. and they were all Arab horse. And he'd buy Arab horse off me every time. I had one. Yeah, so there's no, no, there's nothing like that, what you just said, because you just took a bit of everything and mainly if you took the one sort, you know, it'd fill out pretty quick. But you could take as many pony as, as you wanted because you could always sell a pony, you know. It's been the most stable thing in a horse in the horse world ever, a good kid's pony, hasn't it? They're still worth a lot of money. They've always been worth a lot of money. Yeah, they're always worth a lot of money. But, look, like I say, I never dealt in big money, ever. I still live in two and six days. But the bloke before me, well, he's further down the track. No doubt you went across to Tamworth the other day to ALIC for the sale. I did. You know, it was a mind-blowing sale to anybody who, who's who been involved in the horse industry in any way, shape or form. 
What do you think today is making those horses worth so much money? You're talking of selling horses. If you made $2,000 50 years ago, you were nearly doing cartwheels. You know, they're now doing $550,000 in 50 years. Yeah, that's one. That's one horse, mate. That's one horse. Yeah. But they're, they're up around $100,000, now they're $80,000. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yep. I, I just think that the corn craft scene and the price of cattle, so that's the only thing I could see. It was amazing money. I like going in there because, like I say, I got a pony and I poke around in there picking up clipper blades and I sat there and watched them all go through and I not watched the sale, I watched them outside and uh, I thought to myself, a uh, pretty good lot of horses really, but there were some in there that uh, should have been with me. <laughs> <laughs> when you look, look at, at the cattle industry, for argument's sake, without a doubt the quality of cattle have got better over the years. Do you think the quality of horses has got better or do you think, I mean, now people spend an inordinate amount of time and money um, to get those horses to to that stage to present at Tamworth? It's certainly not something that you've picked up off the truck out of Gloucester and then taken it and ridden it through the next sale. Do you think there has been a huge change in the breeding and horse quality is actually better than it was? Well, I think that the presentation for a start jumped about 10 million percent, you know. But they're also, they've got a bit of food in their horses and make them look good. And if they look good, they always make more money, I think. They've got some good trainers, haven't they? Like, the blokes that are riding them in through the ring. The fellow that's riding them in for himself, he's doing himself a disfavour to what I can see. He's better off giving them blokes a few bob. I don't know what they charge or anything like that, but they know what they're doing, you know. Like, they're such good riders. They've got no nerves. They go bloody wonderful, you know. But I've got to tell you, Phil, you just said to me once a minute ago about buying a horse at one sale and selling the next. Well, Glen Innes used to have a, a show sale, you see, and the next day there was one on a tenderfield. And he goes, it's a night sale, this sale, so I go and I buy this plumpery grey mare. And I've got a bloke called David Worth to give me a hand next day just to clean her up, knock the mane off, and I oh, did didn't she trim up? He said, every hair that's come off here is a dollar. He said, so when the bloke sold the horse, he said, I drink any wine, a crappity rabbit, I go with sheep on the horse. He's an Italian fellow, see? So <laughs> anyway, I give 260 I think $260 for that horse. Oh, that was on the, the night before I went to Tenerfield there on the Sunday, and it made $3,000. I did the same thing. <laughs> that was the next day. The set of shares on her and t- took all the main out of it. You know, like I did the same spiel as the Italian bloke, I went to sleep on the horse. I was going to say, um, that's an amazing return on investment. I don't know that even horses that went through Tamworth this year would have had that sort of return on investment. Oh, mate, a, but that's pretty rare. That's why I told you that one. That, but, you know, like you got $100 on a horse, it's all right, you know. It all adds up. But the bloody expenses add up too. <laughs> yeah, they do. You know, like we've eaten dates off the calendar here a lot of times. They're, they're very tasteless, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you said earlier in the conversation um, that you sold horses into Malaysia. That's an unusual place, A, for horses to go and B, an unusual place for them to be being sold back when you were, you know, dealing in, in the horses in big numbers. Now, well, I, I, in actual fact, John Halliwell used to be a big dealer in Dandenong, Victoria, and just played a bit of power. Well, he had a job. I was buying for him, actually buying for him. He asked me to get some horses for him because he was selling them to Malaysia over there. But I sold a horse to Malaysia here just a couple of years ago 
but the Malaysian government buy them for the jumping, jumping horses. Oh, the right. government owns them. Mm-hmm. They buy the horses. It's the government that owns them. And apparently one of their riders over there will ride them for the government. I think something similar like that might happen in a lot of different places, but I'm not positive. But I know in Malaysia that's what did happen to this Chester that I sold them. But John Halliwell, he, he used to play polo and he used to deal in horses in Victoria. We used to run into him in Victoria, down in all those places when I was down there. So you're, you're part of selling the horses to Malaysia was you just sold it to John Halliwell and then he sent them to Malaysia? Or? Yeah, yeah I just, I just, he, he just asked me to buy horses for him. And, you know, like, yeah, I, I did it a few times for him and just got the horses for him. They went to Victoria and he worked it out from there. But I think Chris Chud come up here when with the Malaysians when they brought the one off me up here. But that's, what you know, like, if you're lucky enough to sell them over there and get a bit of a name over there, you're pretty right. Yeah, yep. So how many do you think you sold into Malaysia? I've only sold the one there to Malaysia myself, but, uh, like, I'd gone there, but, but he, I might have bought 20 horses for him or something like that. But that's a long time ago. That was the early 70s then. But they were strictly a polo job, you know? So my research again tells me you've got a story to tell me about Alan Gilfoy. Alan Gilfoy? Mm. Oh, strike a light. Now, there you go. I'm back there. Now, you know I told you about Mr. Calum? Yes. The first place. Yes. When I left Bow Desert, Alan Gilfoy got my job. I had to go to school in Brisbane. I was getting knocked about a bit too much at home. They took me up and put me in Brisbane school. And yeah, Alan Gilfoyle got my job, but we had the same saddle. Mr. Carlin used to make these saddles. All they were was a corn bag and a port strap. You know what a port strap is? <laughs> yes. And they just used to go a single over the top and a port strap. You used to put your feet on either side of the port strap. That was our saddles. And Alan Gilfoyle got my job after I left. Now, look at it. Successful man, isn't he? I talked to him the other day. <laughs> and listen, if you want to, you want to ask some memories. That bloke, he's got the best memories of anyone in Australia, I reckon. Oh, has he? <laughs> oh, Christ, yes, he's got the best memory, and he he, he, he buries you too. <laughs> Did you know that? Yes, I do. I saw he, I saw him do a funeral just the other day. Hmm. Did you? Yeah, I did. Well, I didn't know that the other day. He told me. He said, you, he said, but you'd only go to church three times, wouldn't you? So what do you mean? He said, hatch, match and dispatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. He uh, he did the funeral for a friend of mine at Capella the other day. Did he? he did a good job he's, too. He's a lovely man. Like, like we were only kids together. We, we grew up in Bodessa, riding the streets of Bodessa. He lived a block away from me, just behind me in a block up, you know, and saw a fair bit of it. But that old house of Mr. Carlin's a beautiful old home. It's still there. And you'll see it. Anybody drives through but as will see an old, big old Norfolk pine tree with the top had been cut out at one stage. I cut that out in about 1956. <laughs> Why? <A> Christmas tree. <laughs> That's why I learned to crack a whip under that tree. You used to give me this whip and I used to crack the bloody little things off the end of the pine all the time, you know. But as Colin Diane the other day, there's a, a chap called Eugene Doyle. We bought a mob of heifers at Bow Desert once, and I, I suppose I, I'd have been 12 or 13, and Mr. Carlin couldn't do the job, so he, he got me to do it, and I was by myself, and I'd take the cattle out by horse, out past the reservoir of Bow Desert, out past the rifle range. It's only a few miles, and I got a quid for it, but there's a big heap of bamboo just on the other side. That's his place. Uh, that's, how you, that's how you used to know places with different landmarks. But when I, when I was 14, I had 100 quid in my money box. In my, in my bank. 
I had 31 quid in one of those, you know those Commonwealth Bank money boxes? Yep. I had 31 quid in there. Go on. In money. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, I never used to rate it, but, I was, but that's just it. But I work. Like I say, I've had a job since I'm nine-year-old. Yeah, yeah. You know, but people help you. Like I think of heaps of people. Like that Turfcraft magazine helps me a great deal. It's, they do a lot of things for me, Kate and Cameron. Yep. But the one that does emotional me is my wife. I must stress that heavily. Now, most people who like horses don't particularly like donkeys, but I hear you've also got a soft spot for donkeys. What on earth is that my, all my about? My favourite animal. Favourite animal? My favourite animal. Is it? Oh, well, yes, yes, by far. By far, I have a hundred of them. Have you got any now? No. Mm. If I did have, I'd be a millionaire. Mm, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, my daughter's got them now, apparently. Oh. She's telling me yesterday she's got some. Yeah. You know, she, what she said, she had 59 of them. Holy ghost. I tell you, you've still got to catch me out of a hundred, but they just take some mush and they just run 1,500 acres up here in a big reserve. Oh, Christ, they take some yet. <laughs> yeah. Rusty Payne come with us up there one day. He said, by the God, he said, I wouldn't like to get lost here. But it was a big, big rough spot. Uh, we had some mules running up there. Rusty wants some mules. He still got them, actually. That last time I told him, he said, come, we'll go, go around Australia in a mule train. But my days are past, eh? So there's better ways of going around Australia now than in a mule train. So yeah. did you just um, keep them as pets or did you sell them? Yeah, or What that, did you do with I them? I bought them, I sold them, mate. That little folly you see there, that Jamie in that video, yep. or Jamie Barwick, Jamie Barwick, everyone knows Jamie Barwick. He, mm. he won a saddle down here when he, in one of the events here stone one day. He's a pretty capable bloke, you know. Mm. Well, I gave him one called Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong is still here. Just his family and he used to have contests. He used to teach him to dance and he'd do everything and lay down. And we used to collect the 65 bass. His kids would get their photo taken while he's lying down and they're on top of him and hanging on each leg and everything. Terrific. And, you know, I used to give them to a lot of the kids. Benny McNaughton got one when he was a little kid. They used to have to drive through me donkeys to get where they worked, down at Glenrock, you see. Mm. And uh, Ben got one, and he won the mule. I had this mule, I, I, I can't tell you the name. I do know him well. I bought him off, but he kicked his dog and killed his dog. Mm. And he, he, that's what he made that thing. So he would kick you. But the funny thing, I, in the drought, I had this bloke give me a heap of bread. And this mule, I noticed, only ate bloody brown bread. He wouldn't eat the white bread, but he ate all the brown bread. And he, he's a lovely looking mule. And Ben came to me one day. He said, uh, he said, I wouldn't mind a mule, Ross. He said, that red one up there. I said, oh, mate. He said, the red fellow that eats the brown bread. And uh, I said, mate, you kick your dog. He said, I won't have a dog around him. won't walk behind him. But I didn't give it to him just as well. <laughs> Well, we might have had a dozen up there. I'm, and I bred, I bred a mule out of a mule, you know, and they're pretty rare. I was on the John Laws with it, everything. And um, Al Simpson came up. He came up in the helicopter, in Packers helicopter and landed here and had a look at it. It was out of a mule by a donkey. Gosh. Yeah. And they reckon that Al tells me over in Argentina and Argentina or Brazil or somewhere near, they are breeding odd mule. So... There's something happening. I don't know what there is, but but I bred that thing, and uh, I've only got one mule left here. Yeah, one mule I've got left now. That's how it goes. I I got a roan there. A lot of people know my old roan there. Well, the mule's half sister to it, but anyhow, that's how it is. 
So, you know, what what does the day of Ross Greenwood look as a retired horse seller? Do you still just look at horses every day and think, oh, I could make so much money out of that or I could... Mate, I didn't believe you could get so bloody useless as you got older, I tell you now. But well, I, I still have 100 horses, I suppose. But uh, I don't do much with them. They're in the paddock here. Diane's got a nice bowl there yesterday, actually. But uh, I've got a stallion here that, oh, well, when you say stallion, people go stupid to come in here. There's four or five stallions locked up here. But you don't, I don't use them. You know, you've got paddock pulls of horses. So what are you going to do with them? What, they're just pets now, aren't they? You've softened over the years. I think that way. Shouldn't have been a horse dealer. I've had them here 30-odd-year-old and still here. Shouldn't have ever been a horse dealer, I reckon. <laughs> Just too soft. I was going to say, you've got soft now. Oh, uh, soft too before. Don't worry about that. I'm the softest bloke. But uh, no, we've got a few goats. I buy a few goats or stop buying many. I chase a few. I still get on and ride mm. um, and poke around, but I'm all right sitting on the horse. But when I get off on the ground, I'm not so... Table. <laughs> Bit stiff and sore. Oh, bloody awful. But uh, I'm enjoying I'm looking forward. I'm going into uh, the national finals of the stock horse in, in Tenmouth that they left for 10 days. I'm heading in there. I, I'll, I'll poke in there and pick up blades. I come up, people wouldn't know what I did here at Laird, Nutrient. I'd get up here up past four or five o'clock every morning. Yeah, I'd milk three goats, do the two jobs I've got to do about here. Go to town, pick up loads all day, come home here, work till one o'clock and get up next morning and go again. I did that for 11 days. That's good. That's good. Have you got any other stories you want to tell us? Oh, I don't know. What can I tell you? What do you want to know? I can tell you anything you want to know, but <laughs> no, the people not. That's it, okay? No, no. I just, I, I, I've had a lot of funny things like that have happened over the years. And I, I mainly based my me, me life on fun, not bloody dreariness. I hate dreariness. I always told jokes. It's a funny thing. They rattle through those horses and go quick. You know, it's a different thing today. I know it's a different thing. But it gets a bit slow there and they can't get a bid there at different times. Well, I bust them up a bit and I tell them a joke or something like that or, or tell them a funny story or that, that's happened or tell stories about someone else that's there. I told a story about a bloke there one day, a fellow called Robert Drew. He's sitting in there with a bloody Jenny Clark. And, uh, and I said to him... Um, I said, this is a nice turnout. You sitting there with a strange woman. The show was a tale a bit a, a strange woman, mate. I said, when I see Pam, I said, I'm going to tell her. You know, just joking. <laughs> he came out and he said, Pam's left me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I never felt so bad in all my bloody life. But anyhow, he still laughs about it now. I didn't know that at the time, but anyhow, that's just how, how, how it goes. No, it's been good. There's like those 300 horses. We walked down at Ross Clark. We've been good mates for a long time. And um, we were lucky enough to do that job together. But no, that's about it, mate. Well, that's a great story, Ross. You think it is? You've had a good life, I'd say. Oh, mate, I've had the best. I've had the best. I've had five broken legs. That's not much good. But anyhow. Probably lucky to get away with only five, I would have thought. Well, if I'd have got on some of them other horses, I might have got six or seven, mightn't I? That's right. There's a lot to be said to be having enough brains to go, yeah, no, I'm not going to ride that horse. No, well, it, it, well I didn't have the ability. See, I'm not a horseman. I'm not a horseman by any, any stretch of the imagination. I'm more of a showman than a horseman. I can put something where it's supposed to be or do something, but there's much, much better horsemen, which I'm in very much awe of. I like watching some good blokes. There's a fellow down here called Mark Ray. 
uh, big tall fella. And man, oh man, I love watching him ride in the ring. I think he's just great. I love watching him, you know. He just does things that I think are good. And plenty of other blokes do things that I think are good too. But I'll tell you what, there's plenty of blokes that I don't know why they get on. To show a horse off badly, they do. And I don't think they know that, but that's going to get on. I might have made a lot of blues in my time too. Right, you couldn't have made too many. You've dealt in 28,000 head over the years. That's a fair uh, number of, of, of animals. Yes, I know there one year I bought 5,000 in one year. Yeah, that's that's a, you know? uh, that's a lot That's a lot of horses. Oh, well, we were going day and night. We always had 70 or 80 at the Camus up in the back paddock and tankards would come in and buy them, you know. We'd have the rest. I had a paddock out at the top of all out behind Farrer out there, and it was loaded up. By oh, geez, there was a lot of horses in there. You'd always see 100, 120, 30 horses in that paddock. And by art, I own it now. You can see where the horses have been because it's really rung back the trees. This is what I don't understand in there, Dalek. This is truly what I don't understand. They're growing all them trees in there, beautiful trees, you know, like to get a bit of shade. And they go and tie their horses up to the trees, and the horses are biting the trees and killing the trees. I don't understand that part. You know, it's not theirs, I suppose. So they don't worry, but I'm not the bloody angel, so I can't preach to everyone. Well, it's been a great chat, Ross. Thanks for your time, and it's no, been. I, I, thank, I thank you all too. And I'll tell you what, I really mean it. I thank every bugger that ever helped me because, by Jesus, I couldn't name them all. There's millions. No. Millions. No, and that's that's testimony to you being a good bloke. Do you think so? I, I like to think I am. You surround yourself with good people, good things happen. Do you think so? Yep. I bought a bloke's stall out one day. I was coming back from Sydney and there's a bloke selling roses on the side of the road. Mm. And we, I thought, oh, we'll pull up here just before the Weybridge it was. Anyhow, he said, oh, I wish I'd go home. I said, how much do you want for the lot, mate? You know, like, might have been a hundred bunches of roses there, heaps of them, you know. <laughs> and he had Bushy Morris was with me. So I bought them off him for whatever it was. You know, money wasn't anything in those days. Uh, I went through the Weybridge, you know, I give one to this bloody bloke called Zorro. He used to be on the Weybridge, and he used to ping you for being overweight all the time. I give him a bunch of roses. <laughs> <laughs> I went home, and I went around to all the old pensioners down in the village, and... uh and I, I gave them all a bunch of roses. Yeah. I thought that, Good that on wasn't you. a bad thing to do. No, see, no. that's what I mean. But I did think like that. That was just what we did. Yep. But okay, thank you so much. If you come to Nutrien, you better make sure you come and make yourself known to me because I don't know you, but I'll know you laugh. I'll, I'll come and track you down. I, you know, I'll say I need to speak to the bloke who's here picking up the blades and everyone will know. Well, that's all you've got to say. But listen, at Nutrien, blokes bought them from Wilson's Promontory. Yep. For me, and they bought them down from Dimboola. They bought them from everywhere. And I went down to one bloke said, he said, hey, I need you. He said, a bloke told me, he said, there's a bloke getting around here with a little pony. He said, you're sharp and you're blade. Mm. And I said, well, I'm in. But anyhow, I thank you very much. You take care. Okay. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks to our sponsor, Hewitt Consulting and Communications.